Martin banks it off. Sutter is up with it there. Right around in front. Live in the entertainment capital of the world. Leading goal scorer on the team. Drew one in front. It's the TC Martin Show. A tie game on the power play. Hodgson was at the front of the net. They are even. It's time to get your daily prescription from the doctor. A power play goal by the captain. TC Martin. It's brushed on back by Richard Parkson. Right up front. Younger Bennett side of the net. Is now in. And a very happy 5th of July day. I can't remember ever saying that before, but this does seem like a 4th of July because I guess this is the 4th of July observed, right? The Monday after 4th of July on a Sunday. So happy 5th of July to you, Ballpark Frank. I'm assuming there's no mail today, right? So See, I was thinking about that too. So, so yeah, so. Federal government takes the day off. So. It, yeah, so I think. Of course, it seems like they take most days off. <laughs> I think a lot of the world is is taking the day off. Obviously, the world? yeah. You well, know, you know, most of the world doesn't celebrate the fifth of Ju- Fourth of July. Yeah, yeah. I, I I realize that it, <laughs> this is a United States holiday. See how quick he was just to jump there. Just wants to jump all the time. Yes, I was going to ask Paul Buckpower uh, Stewart that too as well too. Hey, you see, you celebrate that. He cracks Remember. open a Bud Light and takes his one little firework and goes out and he's got his sparkler and he's hanging out on the sidewalk in front of his place. And I'm curious, what do people in England, what do they think? Oh, yeah, it's that bloody American holiday. But there are so many Americans over in England, so you know that it's a factor that people are celebrating it. So there probably are some fireworks going on in jolly old England somewhere might be harder to find a fireworks stand that's representing that but uh, <laughs> right. I, I think more people in england today were probably uh in tune to the manic monday of wimbledon since uh mm. you know it'll be the last manic monday that they have that's true and i think they're all getting ready for wednesday when england will uh be playing in the semifinals of the euro 2020 so paul buckpower stewart our guy he's going to join us next hour seems weird the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and Lightning guy over in England. I mean, you talk about this guy. He's he's living the life right now. He's over in England, and the Tampa Bay Lightning are one victory away from winning the Stanley Cup Finals, and he's got England on the doorstep of potentially winning Euro 2020, at least in the semifinal on Wednesday. And like you said, Wimbledon going on. He's, he, this guy's loving it. So, yeah, great time. But if to, ha- to have Paul Stewart on with us today. But if he's a big English tennis fan, he's upset today because the young 18-year-old uh, did have to withdraw from her match in the second set as she lost to uh, Tomjanovic uh, in, in, in a pretty exciting, uh, good match. Had a real good, uh, you know, good showing for herself, 18 years old. Made it all the way to uh, the second week of Wimbledon, but uh, dropped today. Also, Coco Golf also Fell today. Yeah, and I think that's what I was going to say. You know, a lot of Americans, uh, including myself, are disappointed that Coco Goff is is out. And I think the next, you know, up and coming female uh, tennis superstar. Yeah, this is the last couple tournaments we've seen her. You know, fail in the in the early rounds. Well, I guess this it is still kind of early rounds. I mean, once you get the corner, well, you get to the we second start, week. You know, it's it's it's, it's a pretty yeah. nice run at Wimbledon. Yeah. For instance, Tomjanovic, who's been around for a long time. This is the first time she's ever made it to this round and won a match in her entire career in one of the majors. So, 
So no, it, it was a good showing. But Coco's only seventeen years old. Yeah. So I mean, she'll she looks like she's got a nice career ahead of her. All right. Uh, so glad to have you with us on this Monday, post Fourth of July. We are going to talk to George Shea, the president, CEO, chairman of the board, as I like to say, of Major League Eating. And, of course, you are very familiar with George Shea, maybe not by name, but he is the guy that wears the the goofy straw hat that uh, emcees the Nathan's Famous Hot Dog Eating Contest. And if you watched it yesterday, you saw George at his finest. Uh, George is uh, just uh, a creator, uh, innovator. Uh, a showman, all wrapped in, up in one, and uh, it, it's fun to talk with him. Had him on the show on a couple different occasions, so he is going to join us today in recapping what we saw at uh, Coney Island yesterday. Except we weren't at Coney Island; we saw it on ESPN as they were at the minor league ballpark. And I'm still not cool with this. And when we had Mickey Sudo on last week, she was talking about it. Yeah, it's going to be a little bit different feel, but it definitely was much better than what we saw last year, where they were in some. Some cave somewhere, some indoor facility. It has like some bricks behind it, and it was it was a weird setting. So at least they were back outdoors, and I think they had somewhere around maybe ten to fifteen thousand fans in a very nice minor league ballpark there in Coney Island. But it just you know they had the backdrop. You could see the Ferris wheels, you know, from a distance, but it still wasn't that. Coney Island setting that we've been accustomed to seeing. Not the same ambiance. Yeah, it was different. I mean, it, it looked like where it was. It was like on the infield grass at a minor league ballpark. But at least there were people there. They were going crazy. They had a good time. Watched Joey Chestnut break his own record. 75 hot dogs and buns gone. He uh, hit it yesterday at 76. Uh, Mickey Sudo, who was part of the broadcast team, she did not compete on the women's side because she's pregnant, as she told us last week. And uh, I think I set the under over at 27 and a half. I thought it was a pretty good line. And Michelle Lesko, she, she went over. She got 31. But again, you know, the men's wasn't really competitive, which it hasn't been for quite some time well, since he just 2015. Dominates. Right. But, uh, you know, ask yourself this. I don't know. I'm sure you never ask yourself this, but anybody out there, you know, Joey Chestnut won for the 14th time. And a lot of people think it's like Mickey Sudo that he's won every year, but it actually wasn't the case. In 2015, that's when he got upset by uh, by Matt Stoney from San Jose, and uh, that was kind of a big deal at that point in time. That was competitive; they were kind of going back and forth. But last couple seasons or last couple of years, not so much. Domination, Joey Chestnut. So what happened to Stoney? Uh, Stoney wasn't even in this one. He wasn't in this one. So I'm saying, did he did he just tire of it? Did he I, finally win one and say to hell with it? Did he, you know, that all of a sudden his body say quit doing this to yourself? Stoney was uh, in it, I believe, last year. I think he was in it last year, but this year he wasn't in it. Eric Badlands Booker, a lot of people are familiar with him. The rapper, he's like 400 pounds. I don't know what's what's up with him. He wasn't in it. Maybe he couldn't find the ballpark. Yeah, I don't. <laughs> you know, but. Uh, they did have another Las Vegas competitor that was in there uh, as well. So, yeah, it wasn't Umchuck, no. But, yeah, another Las Vegas was in there. Now, I know you enjoy your hot dogs. I love my hot dogs. How long does it take you to consume 75 hot dogs? <laughs> and I'm not saying if you eat them all at once and you try to, but just how many weeks or months or whatever before you consume 75 hot dogs? Okay, let's do the math here. Let's see. So if I have a hot dog, say, 
five days a week, which is about what I do, five days. You have a hot dog five days a week? Yeah, four to five. I'll say five because... And it's always one dog. You don't like it double dog in it. Correct, correct. And I used to do like kind of the double dog thing, depending on the size. But uh, pretty much I found out that pacing myself this way with one dog uh, at the... And there, there, see, there's different types of dogs. So the dogs that I'm eating currently right now, especially what they have at Freddy's, is the uh, eight to one ratio. Okay, so what that means is there's eight in a pound. So basically, that's you know a quarter of a pound, I guess. Don't do the math that way. I used to do the six to one dogs, which are my favorite, which are a little bit more thicker. Okay, so one definitely is good for that. But with these eight to ones, you know, yeah, you, you can get away with two. But I found myself I'd rather have some potato chips or have some fries and a drink to go with that. And then that doesn't push me over the edge and then give me the discontent for the dog over time. So, yeah. So uh, five always, days a week. Do you always have the same condiments? Do you mix it up a little bit with the Chicago always. dog? Do you have the same stuff? Yeah. By the way, it is a good yeah. thing that you're not teaching math because yeah. if there's eight, that a quarter of a pound would be if there was four to it. That yeah. henceforth the quarter. Yeah, I was gonna say these so things are that big. It would be an eighth of a pound. Yes, eighth of a pound. Thank you very much for that. <laughs> See, that's why we have you here. There you go. Ring the bell. There it is. Yeah, there it is. Yeah, because the yeah. So the the six to one is is a little bit thicker. And you're right. I've had those quarter pound dogs, and those are those are jumbo. So I have ventured off on those as well, but uh, for the most part. Uh, in Vegas, I can't really find the Vienna hot dog at a lot of stores. They only have these these smaller ones that I'm talking about. Uh, you go to some establishments, like some of your Chicago bars, you know, they'll have the bigger ones, and, and I like that. But, uh, yeah, so answer to your original question, yeah. Uh, grilled onions and mustard, that's my go-to. Will I have just straight mustard at times? Yes, probably maybe 20% of the time, maybe less than that. And that's when I'm fixing them at home. I don't want to go to all the trouble of grilling up the onions. So it's the lazy factor that comes in there. So about once a week you have a just mustard dog if you're doing it four to five times a week. Yeah, 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 exactly, yeah. But uh, more times than not, like I said, if I'm eating out, automatically it's grilled onions and mustard because... Well, yeah, because you don't have to make it. Exactly. They're you're doing the cooking. It. Right, right. Yeah, so... And uh, I, I do get uh, a lot of flack with this. And I, and I saw a commercial actually during the Nathan's... Hot dog eating contest yesterday that somebody in the commercial, they go, you're turning on that grill for one dog? And the guy says, yeah. And that's what I do. And I used to get grief at home about that because I would fire up the grill. And you got, let, a, and you got a big grill, I'm assuming. Big grill. and uh, For one eighth of a pound hot dog? Yeah, yeah. Or, or, or the, the six to one, a little bit bigger. Yeah, I do. Because I don't like it boiled. I don't like it on a pan and fried up. I need to have that grill taste. So, yeah. Is there a problem with with firing up the grill for one dog or two burgers or three steaks or corn on the cob? Well, wait, 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 wait. You cannot equate one dog to three steaks. My point is, is <laughs> should there be a difference? If, if you're doing the cooking and you're flipping or whatever, does it really matter if there's three, four, ten items on that grill compared to one? So why should it matter? It doesn't matter to me. It, do, it seems a little silly to me. Why is that? Because it does seem like kind of a waste to fire up a whole grill for one hot dog that you're going to wolf down in three bites. Okay. Okay. But it, it, it's all about the taste. So if you were in my situation, you're saying that you wouldn't do it just because it's one dog? Yeah, I probably wouldn't know. I mean, if you like a grilled hot dog better than... 
I, I've never way. liked one thing so much that I would have to fire up an entire grill on <laughs> if I'm just having one. But then if I'm having a hot dog, I'm probably going to have at least a couple anyhow. So Okay. So if you had company over, then you're definitely no problem firing up the grill, even though you're going to be eating that same hot dog or that same hamburger. With the exception, it, well, maybe, but I don't remember ever having company over and serving hot dogs. <laughs> <laughs> I've grilled up steaks in it for company. I yeah. don't think I've ever had them over for hot dogs. Yeah. But then I'm not a big, like, 4th of July barbecue guy. Right. And right. I don't have my own house with a backyard and all that stuff either. So Right, right. You know. And again, if you had kids... You know, also, and the, the kids come over and, they, you know, have like the softball team parties and the basketball team parties. You're throwing the dogs and then you're, you're oh, yeah, that probably quite dogs often. and burgers yeah. and whatever. Exactly. Yeah. Maybe chicken breast for the kids that won't eat healthy or something. Yeah. Yeah. So I do. I do get some flack, you know, from that. Just fire up the grill just for one dog. But I like it. Is this is this like my... you fired up the grill for one hot dog? Seriously? Hot dogs. Better with Pepsi. And I did have a Pepsi. I usually have a Pepsi with that. That's what I do. That's the deal breaker right there. (laughs) Between the mustard and the Pepsi, no. So was that commercial? I'll I'll be leaving your residency. (laughs) Was that was that was that commercial for Pepsi or was that commercial? It was a Pepsi commercial. Um, They tied it into the hot dog eating contest on Fourth of July. I see where they're going there. So, and I didn't see any Coca Cola commercials on Fourth of July. Did you? I, I guarantee you there were Coca-Cola commercials out there. It's only the number one selling soft drink in the entire planet. The planet. Exactly. So there it is. All right. So I take it that you did not watch the Nathan's Famous Hot Dog Eating Contest. So that's okay. Uh, are you, you going to feel comfortable uh, with George Shea coming on the program? You know, talking about, you know, what, what transpired yesterday. Because I, I know that you're just not a – it's not just that you're not a, a hot dog, you know, eater. But you're just not one of these – these competitive eater competition guys. To be totally honest and perfectly frank, I think it's one of the most disgusting (laughs) things on all of television. I I don't understand why somebody wants to see somebody dunking their buns, woofing everything down like that. To me, it's absolutely repulsive. But I understand it's a niche audience and a lot of people Mm -hmm. like it. My The biggest savior to me is that I don't have to watch it, which I don't, Mm -hmm. and that it's only at least once a year. Yeah, see, you look at it like a, it's once a year, exactly. And the thing about this is, this is, is, this is normal. I would say that it's 50-50, split right down the middle, that people either enjoy this or they can't stand it. I mean, when, I, when it first came on in that, I kind of watched it out of that freak show part of it or whatever, when it was still Kobayashi and before Joey Chestnut went on. But even then, I'm like, okay, seen it. It's like the first time I went to a monster truck thing. Okay, the first time you see him go around, it's like, that was kind of cool. And then they do the same court. And it's like, to me, it was like, yeah, don't ever really need to see that again. Mm-hmm. Though I know a lot of people absolutely love it. And they flock there every year. Just like last night, we saw fireworks every place. A lot of people love fireworks. They look the same to me as they did 50 years ago, the first time my parents took me when I was a little kid to Veterans Acres in Crystal Lake, Illinois. <laughs> It doesn't do anything for me. Yet people flock to, although they have them every Friday at every Aviators game, and they do them New Year's Eve out here, and they do them all over, different people love different things. Mm. Hot dog eating contest, fireworks, that sort of mm. stuff, not my cup of tea. But then tea's not my cup of tea. All right. All right. I think I figured it out here. While you were you know, talking there, I was trying to do the math of your original question. How long would it take me to eat you know, 76 hot dogs? I think it's about three and a half months. Yeah, so if I do the math, you know, five day, if I have five hot dogs a week, 
Uh, and sometimes, you know, I'll go six, you know, but I'll say but five. But sometimes you'll yeah, only do four. Four, exactly. So we'll go five with a happy medium. So that would be, you know, basically 20 dogs a month, right? So times that, you know, three months, that'd be 60. So three and a half months, I would say we do that 30, 60, 90 day. Probably take me about uh, 105 days to, to do what Joey hey. Chestnut did in 10 minutes. Yeah. How's that? So basically you have, you consume around 230 hot dogs a year. Yes, yes. And Are I don't you know crazy? if that, that's on par with what Betty White did because I had always heard that Betty White had a hot dog a day. And that's why she lived to basically be 100. Well, she, she had a hot dog a day. She did 365. Yeah, so she the, blew yeah. you out of the water. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. I'm pretty close, though. I'm pretty close. I don't know. Betty White, she's still alive? Yeah, that's what I'm saying. That's why she's lived to. Be a hundred or close to a hundred. You know. Yeah. So basically, every day is a dog day afternoon for Betty White. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All right, George Shea, he's coming up. Uh, Doctor Christina Madison, she will join us next hour as well too. Uh, as Vegas is open, we've seen it full blown here. This Fourth of July seemed very similar to 2018, 2019. I am sure. Even busier. Even busier, I mean, And right? in the news, they said that May was the busiest or the most grossing for the slot machines and for casinos ever out mm-hmm. here. Yeah. I'm sure that you probably watched all the firework coverage locally because I know you, you watch a lot of the local news. Yeah, I watched the local sort of news. I, I watched a little bit of that last night yeah. as well, too. I mean, I guess a lot of people really enjoy what they did in the Strip. I think they had seven properties, and it was like yeah. eight minutes and 11 seconds in the show. And, you know, some people go, it's like, oh, that's all the time it is. It's like... You know how many fireworks you fire off from seven different buildings in eight minutes and 11 seconds when it's constantly nonstop? See, I mean, it, 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 that's a lot of money and a lot of fireworks. So you know what I noticed last night? Because, again, I'm, I'm curious about the little things like this. So I'm flipping the channels, and I was on Channel 3 at first, and I saw the music you know, that they're using here because... You know, you just don't have fireworks to fireworks. You get the music, you know, going. Well, there's always there. Viva Las Vegas and whatever. And I, yeah. I guess this year they put in um, We're Back or something like that. Okay. Some, because Vegas, because it was so, kind of the theme of this year's show. So I'm watching that and I'm thinking like, okay, let me check out the different, you know, viewpoint of another channel. Like, is this one feed that all, that everyone's watching, no matter if you're on 3, 5, 8, 13, whatever, you know? And so I'm flipping. I'm going, oh, that's different. Wait, that's different. Oh, wait a minute. That music's different. Every television station had different music. And I'd be curious to ask well, B. Sal about have. this. They shouldn't have. But they did. So here's what I'm thinking. That's so why I want to ask B. Sal this, our, our good friend over at News 3, even though he is a sports director, uh, probably not involved in the fireworks department or the, the main news. But um, the music was different on every channel. So I'm thinking that they went audio, their own audio track at every television news broadcast that's what i'm thinking now if you're on the strip and you're watching it do they have you know speakers galore piped in or are you just watching it without music see these are the little things that i'm curious about. well it, it, from what i understand they were going to do it just like they've done in years past on new year's eve yeah. and that and it was one soundtrack that choreographed with yeah. the eight minutes and 11 seconds I and i know different radio stations in town used to simulcast that so right. no matter where you were you could hear it in your car as well now, are you sure that you were watching everything live, or were they showing different highlights you know, of it? Because I'm, it could have been a different part in the... No. Because it was supposed to be the same music for every one of yeah. the places. It, it, so, yeah, again, I'm watching it at you know, 11 o'clock is when this is happening. And to be fair... Because they went off before that. Yeah, okay. Because it wasn't live at 11. What? Um, 
Yeah, they all went off at 11. Yeah, okay, yeah, so yeah. they did. Yeah, because again, I had all the channels going, okay. and they had the different things. But to be fair, I probably caught like maybe the last two, two and a half, three minutes of it. And so that's when, again, and I was hanging with, with Channel 3 for the most part, and then that's when I said, uh, I'm just wondering, you know, about this music here, because I wasn't digging a lot of the music, you know? And then I flipped it over to Channel 8, and I'm going, oh, that's different. And that got me curious. Go back to 3. Oh, it's their music. Oh, 8's different. Yeah. Now let me see. What's 5 got going? You know? Oh, 5 actually w- didn't partake, because their news is earlier. Yeah, so they were not. Yeah. Right. On a Sunday, so, they, don't, they so, don't have yeah. the back-to-back so, news So it went broadcast. to 8, to 13, to 3, and, and that sort of thing. Yeah. That, that but, is interesting, yeah. because from what I when I heard them interviewed about it, it was supposed to be all choreographed for yeah. the same thing, once again, just like they've done in the past. Because one thing that I thought was weird about this, uh, or strange about this town from most other places... The fireworks displays on New Year's Eve are actually bigger out here than normally the 4th of July. Because New Year's Eve, they fire them off from all over the place, and not every city does that sort of thing. So I think part of the thing, too, is that on 4th of July, that, you know, they did it more, they did it bigger this year because they're back and Vegas is back and all that sort of stuff. But New Year's Eve is a big fireworks. And now, of course, they do that all around the world. You know, here's the first ones from New Zealand when we're like 8 o'clock in the morning or whatever, and then you see the whole world is. You know, it's like, oh, right. now, it's, now it's New Year's in Shanghai. Now it's New Year's in, you know, yeah. whatever, Paris, France, shooting them off from the the real Eiffel Tower yeah. and, you know, different things. And so. they had the special, they had the, you know, the national specials earlier where, you know, Macy's had their fireworks thing and they shot them off uh, in D.C. and New York yeah. as well as uh, uh, in Hollywood as well, too, and all that sort of thing. Now, so, have you ever again, seen a fireworks show or something in a different city or something that you were like that kind of re- you remember that? Like yeah. it was something big? Like I, I remember years and years ago when me and my best friend went to, uh, we went to Boston for Fourth mm-hmm. of July weekend once. And we saw the fireworks display in the uh, the Boston, uh, you know, the, the the symphony, the the orchestra yes. was there, and and they performed right on the river there, and they mm-hmm. shot off the fireworks, and they shot off the, that cannon from the Revolutionary War. Mm-hmm. That is the loudest thing I've ever heard in my <laughs> life. I mean, I just kept on thinking, it's like, forget about all the battle scars and everything else out there. You'd have gone death fighting in one of those mm-hmm. battles. I uh, saw mine in uh, in Washington D.C. and sat on the. Um, the Washington Monu- <clears throat> Monument lawn. So, okay. uh, so did that. And here was my, my day, uh, my whole day in the evening. This was going back to, I want to say, 2005 when uh, I went back there. And, of course, every time I go back to a city like that, I've got to go see a game or something, right? So I saw the Washington Nationals. I believe it was their inaugural season, their first or second season, and they were playing the Cubs, at old RFK Stadium. So, of course, you know, I wanted to go see the Cubs. Cubs in town. I'm in D.C. This is perfect. Dusty so, still with the Cubs back then? Uh, at that point in time, he was not, I believe. I okay. think that was the year that that they let him go uh, okay. before that. Anyway. So, anyway. Um, but, yeah. I was just it, I was going to D.C. Hey, Cubs are playing. Let's do this. And so, dinner. Uh RFK Stadium, which was really strange to see baseball in RFK Stadium. And uh, I remember you know, they had a b- big crowd that night, and uh, the Nats like, had a rally going on, and they were like shake. The stadium was actually shaking. I was like, this, is, this isn't safe. What, what would it be like for 80,000 fans at a Redskins game you know, back in those days? So that was crazy. And then uh, got on the Metro, and the Metro was fantastic there. I'd say much better than the subway system in New York City. And then 
uh, took that down to the Capitol Monument, all that sort of, and saw the fireworks. So that was like my Fourth of July, I think, like two thousand and five. And yeah, and that was that was pretty pretty cool. And there was music and stuff going on too because they had like speakers like all throughout that area of the city. So you know, we and we and it was I remember it was a, a variation of music too. So they had some rock and they had some R and B and then they had their traditional you know you know American type of yeah. music. And that's what know. they try to do with yeah. the, with the soundtrack out here in Vegas as yeah. well. By the way, pop Boston Pops Orchestra is what, what yes. was performing. They, they oh were yeah, performing outstanding. So, yeah. yeah, I mean it, it it was pretty spectacular. And again, we were touristy, so you know. I think I was, I don't know, 22 or 23. And so we were doing that, you know, we walked like the Freedom Trail and the Independent Trail that whole day yeah. and, you know, looked at the old, uh, you know, grave sites of old yeah. Patriot. Oh, here's where Paul Rivera. It was kind of cool because on that day before the fireworks and that, they actually take a little militia group out and they go to the different grave sites, or at least they did back then. I think it was oh, 1978 or something. <laughs> But and they would go there and they would say, "Here lies," you know, and they would read a yeah. little declaration and then they would do a twenty-one gun salute for the Patriots. Wow! So you know, it was kind of cool and kind of like I mean, it just seemed a perfect place to be on Fourth of July weekend. Not the New England Patriots, though. No, 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 no. Yeah, okay. <laughs> Hell, back then they might have still been the Boston Patriots. They, they were exactly with that with that great goofy guy on the helmet there on the white helmet. That was outstanding. He was in a three point stance. He was ready to go. He was ready to go. All right, uh, is today the last hockey game. Tonight the last hockey game. I have a feeling it is going to be. I think so. You know, I and again when Montreal saying stuff like we're going to give our best effort because we have nothing to lose, I'm not sure that's the mindset you want to because it's almost like saying. We already know we've lost. It's just how many is it going to take now? So I kind of have a feeling that it's been a nice season for them, but now they're getting ready for it to end. You know, if they'd have won that game too. It's interesting too because I was watching some of the – after the last game when Tampa Bay won and they looked much better than they did in game two. And they mentioned on NHL Network that uh, – I think it was Weeksy that, that brought it up and he said, well, I expected Tampa Bay to come out with a big effort because they always come out with a big effort after a loss. And the other guy, the other people in the panel kind of looked at him and he goes, well, I know they didn't play the last game and I know they won it, but the way they played, they probably should have lost it. So they were going to, that incentivized. That's the mindset, right? Yeah. yeah. So they thought, hey, we, we escape with one here, but really hey, we have a loss, so we've got to pick it up. So when they went to Montreal and I thought, oh, well, that's an interesting thought that you knew they were going to play good because they always do after a loss, even though they won that game that you're counting as a loss for them in their mind. Right, right. Yeah, uh, game number four tonight. Uh, this could be it. Tampa Bay Lightning again. I think Montreal's their their game to win was in game three. We thought that they would show up, and they didn't immediately. Well, in game two, they they, they outplayed them. I they mean, did. they should have won game. Vasilevsky yeah. won game two, which gave us all the. And we talked about this on Friday. Is that this was the belief? Like, okay, I think we're still going to have a series here. But man, I mean, they there was two. It was two nothing the first four minutes of that game. Yeah. You know, on Friday night. And, and that's what Tampa Bay can do. Remember, when, when, when they Friday. knocked out the Islanders they, in that last game, they beat 1-1 one, one to nothing. They have the capability to win games like that. But when their offense does get rolling, it's pretty much lights out for anybody. Yeah. And I know that, you know, social media out here, like, I look sometimes and I kind of laugh because people are like, wow, is Tampa Bay really that good or does Montreal just suck? How bad are we really? You know, and and it's like, Every series takes on its own life and its own fact. Just because if Montreal gets swept, it doesn't necessarily mean Vegas would have got swept. It doesn't even mean that Vegas was gonna would have lost the series if they played against Tampa Bay. Because things are different. 
But everybody always looks at it like it's, oh, if they get swept, well, we must really blow. And it's like, no, that's not necessarily the case. It's matchups and different things take on their own life. In fact, in Montreal, looks like a very tired hockey team. We've talked about that before. I mean, going seven games, you know, in the first series when you're down three to one against the Maple Leafs and then. You know, continuing and then yeah. I mean, I mean, they swept the Winnipeg, against, which gave them a little bit of rest. Did, that, but, 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 still. but but still, and, and, and against the Knights, that was a that was a hard fought series. It was a hard fought series, and and I think maybe they got a little sense of that. Maybe maybe they started believing the press slippings that they were a little bit better than they are. I mean, to me, even though Tampa Bay was the third seed going into from their division, and we talked about this before the playoffs started, I thought Tampa Bay once again was the was the team to beat. When you've won a championship, it's hard to get up for regular season games all season long. Tampa Bay was going to get focused and ready for the playoffs. That's what they've done. I, if anyone's surprised that Tampa Bay's about to win back-to-back Stanley Cups, I don't think you've really watched a lot of hockey this year. They're a machine, plain and simple. I mean, plain and simple, not a weakness at all. I mean, you talk about model franchises, and I think Barry Melrose even said this too. It is Tampa Bay. A lot of people like to talk about the Vegas Golden Knights, and the Golden Knights are a great franchise. They're, they're a nice they're, story. They're a nice story, and they're, they're, in the, they're in the right path. Only four years in existence, but what Tampa Bay has done, the roster they've constructed, the way they've dealt with the salary cap, no, they – they they are the model franchise. And the right way now. that they bounce back after getting swept by Columbus, that could have destroyed that team and that franchise. But they looked at it and they used it as motivation and said, okay, we started believing the hype. We're never going to let that happen again. Mm-hmm. Now they're probably uh, on the precipice of winning back-to-back Stanley Cups. All right, game number four coming your way tonight. We'll see if the Lightning can close it out. All right, when we come back, we go to New York City. George Shea is going to join us. Major League Eating, the voice, the face of the Nathan's Famous Hot Dog Eating Contest. We'll have some fun with him coming up. Now, more from your favorite sports radio physician. Wow, that's the best news I heard in a dog's age. The Dr. T.C. Martin. It was a year of ever-present uncertainty. Empty streets, milestones missed, passions postponed. But we did not submit. Last year on this day, even indoors, six feet apart, we stood shoulder to shoulder, determined that the tradition would continue. And now we are taking back our lives, our city. At Surf and Stillwell, we stand at the intersection of every culture, every hope. Because of every language in the world, the word recognizable to all is freedom. The rock on which we stand, that is what we celebrate here today. Through the lens of this man, the champion of the 4th of July, who commands the laws of physics. 7500 a world record! Today, we gather in a new location for safety. A ballpark, an American cathedral that is no stranger to the hot dog and the bun. So it is, and so it always shall be. He is a poet. He's an innovator. He's a showman. Yes, the face, I like to say, and the voice of the famous Nathan's Eating Hot Dog Contest. Uh, George Shea joins us. George, what's going on, my man? 
Not too much. Just recovering after the 4th of July. Thank you very much for having me on. <laughs> Absolutely. All right, George. Uh, whether it's uh, pepperoni rolls, oysters, sweet corn, tamales, pork rolls, baked beans, and probably another uh, dozen or two things, I mean, it's uh, you've, you, you've dominated the competitive eating market here, my friend, and, and congratulations. Well, yeah, I know we're doing about, well, on a normal year, we're doing about um, 50 different events a year. Um, you know, all of the Nathan's qualifiers leading up, but then like Buffalo chicken wings and Acme oysters and all this kind of stuff. Of course, we were knocked back by COVID, but at very least we're back with, uh, you know, the Nathan's live and in person was really fun. All right. Uh, it all went down, of course, yesterday, the Nathan's. Uh, famous hot dog eating contest. Joey Chestnut wins his 14th title, 14 uh, mustard belt. Uh, the closest co- competitor, what, Jeffrey Esper had 50. Nick Weary had 44. Uh, Joey Chestnut, just a phenomenon, isn't he, uh, 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 um, George? And I'm very curious, how did you find Joey Chestnut, or how did Joey Chestnut find you? So Joey's been around now for... Oh, boy, Uh, 18 years or so. He was a rookie out of the asparagus circuit when he came to to his first hot dog eating contest. And then, which I think was 05, in which he did 32, if I remember correctly. Wait, wait, hold on, George. We got to stop right there. He comes to us from the asparagus circuit. I mean, that's, that's, that's like, you know, the roller derby, the minor league baseball. No, he got to the famous Nathan's hot dog eating contest via asparagus. This is tremendous. Yeah, he was the undisputed asparagus-eating champion of the world for, for many years. Where they, they, they no longer hold that event, or we no longer hold it. But he, yeah, that, and, and he was very impressive. And I remember the first year they're saying, we think he's going to eat 30, um, and he ate 32. And then the next year in 06, he actually was one dog behind Kobayashi, but Kobayashi actually that many believe there was a very, very bad call because Kobayashi spit up, right, and which would DQ him. But the judges did not DQ him. And you can see photos of it with Joey and this other guy, Pat Bertoletti, who were competing, like, pointing at Kobayashi, going like, what? And uh, But then it was 07 that Joey beat Kobayashi. He beat him again in 08 and in 09, 09, and then Kobayashi sort of quit. And Joey's been unbeatable. He was beaten once by Matt Stoney, but that's when he had a broken heart. And, and I've often said that there's no force in, in the universe that can beat Joey Chestnut except for love. Uh, and, but, the, but the year after, he came back. And so he's just been dominant, as you say. He's just very, very dominant. And I think a lot of people, including myself, you know, we watched the uh, the, the documentary that was on a, a few years back uh, that detailed that battle between Joey Chestnut and Kobayashi. And I think we talked to you, George, maybe I think it was before or after that aired. What were your, your feelings on that? D- did that come across how, how you wanted it to? Well, you know, it's it's so funny. That actually really touched a nerve with me. And, you know, it's funny. She, the, the, the director felt that I misused the power of narrative and that I was insensitive to Kobayashi, who felt bruised when I said USA, USA, right? right. And she, she felt that by, by making, blowing Joey up and, and all this kind of stuff, that I had made him feel bad. And this is my understanding. This is my impression. And then, but the irony is she then, and I never did that intentionally, she then used her documentary intentionally to make me out to be a bad guy, and she changed the facts. You know what I'm saying? She put in audio of people booing Kobayashi 
when there was no booing. You could go on YouTube and see the same clip, and they're cheering. And you know what I'm saying? So I was very frustrated at that. But I would say this. It was great to have a 30 for 30 on ESPN. ESPN is a great partner of ours, right? And you need to create a narrative. So she created a narrative where I was the bad guy, right? And she she sure made me look like a jerk. But, okay, you know, there's got to be a bad guy, you know? So, you know, move on and, and don't get too sensitive. But I do think the one thing that they really captured in that was the intensity of that rivalry, right? And... You have to ask yourself, why did Kobayashi quit? He didn't really quit because of me saying USA, USA, right? I mean, that, that just can't be. So, but it was a, it was such a powerful rivalry, and we, rivalry, and we've tried to get him back so many times because, really, that would be extraordinary to see. And remember, George, uh, you know, you're New York City, you're a wrestling guy, I'm sure. Roddy Roddy Piper, Randy Macho Man Savage were heels before they turned into good guys and baby faces. So there you go. I mean, you've, you've already turned, George. You know, you're, you're a baby face. You're the face of this organization. Yeah, well, I'll, t- I'll take baby face or heel. There is, no, <laughs> there is no man, in my opinion, who understands the power of narrative and the, the sort of hard wire feeling that humans get watching any form of entertainment than Vince McMahon. So I'll be a heel. I'm all good. I'm all good. (laughs) So from listening to what you've been saying, what I've deduced from this is that at the same time that the uh, Nathan Southall competition is going on and Wimbledon across the pond, in tennis, love is nothing, and in eating, competitive eating, it can cost you your yellow belt, your mustard belt. (laughs) It did. It did. It broke his – he had it. He was – he was – Look, I don't want to get into his, yeah. his personal life, obviously, but he was engaged to be married, and, and um, his fiance called it off, I think, three weeks before the fourth, and I think it was just emotionally devastating. And Matt Stoney, who, by the way, Matt Stoney is a great eater, you know, 14, 14 million followers on YouTube. You know, he's like Badlands Booker. I, you guys know how much I love Badlands Booker, <laughs> the greatest guy in the world. He's now got 3 million YouTube followers. They have their own industry, these guys. But, but so Matt's a great eater, but... But Mac, I just could, I believe just could not begin to approach Joey's numbers on the Fourth of July. All right, and you mentioned uh, Badlands Booker. I know he was not in the contest yesterday. Yeah, he. We did the first ever World Chugging Championship, um, a gallon of Nathan's famous lemonade. And Badlands Booker's the number one chugger in the world. His YouTube following is Badlands Chugs. He that's where he has three million followers. He does chugs. You just like chug. It's amazing. The love for this guy is incredible. I was in Coney Island. We were filming for uh, ESPN and uh, pre-stuff. And he couldn't walk down the back. People, a kid came up to him. His hands were shaking. He was so excited to meet Badlands Booker. So, uh, you know, but so he's really a great chugger. We did this chugging contest. He drank a gallon of lemonade in 37 seconds. So I believe that we got to get that back. Like I'm going to, I'm going to have Badlands doing chugging as an undercard to every major event. So it was so, it was so dramatic. Yeah. See the two guys I missed the most yesterday. I mean, your introduction of Badlands is, is great. And then, you know, he'll come out and rap and then we'll, we'll see him stuff his face with hot dogs, but uh, the guy never wins. But like I said, he's kind of like that, that face. The two guys I missed yesterday, George, were Badlands Booker and my guy, Rich, the locust from Las Vegas. What happened to Rich? Yeah. Uh, Rich, who's one of the, the the veterans, has been around. Um, gosh, I mean, you know, uh, two thousand or uh, uh, ninety eight. Um, I believe that there was ill health in in one part of his family, and that he has not been able to to compete. But you know, this is a guy 
who would do zero preparation and knock down 31 hot dogs every single time. I mean, he would walk off the bus, eat, go back, and then he'd be eating that night. It was just a phenom, and they called the locust because he's such a, a skinny, skinny guy, and the way he eats, it's like a bug putting, putting stuff in his mouth. And he, but he was, he was an absolute fan favorite. One time, I won't go off on a tangent, one time I was in Philadelphia, they had what they called the Wing Bowl there, and it was 20,000 people in their basketball arena, packed, right, packed. 20,000 fans, all of whom were drunk. And the biggest applause of anyone, Joey included, was when the Locust came out. They went crazy, crazy. And the Locust is in his 70s now, right? And he's from Las Vegas he be, right here. Yeah, he's the best. He's yeah. the best. And his wife, Carlene, who's, right. who um, was and is you know, a, a true champion. I think he's 73. I, you know, don't, don't, don't um, uh, you know, count on that. But, but right around there. And, but always a fierce competitor. He and his wife are so competitive and... And as a result, they have they have performed amazingly. When it comes to Joey Chestnut, and he's up there, and he's just blowing everybody away by like 50% more than they're eating for the guy in second place, what is his motivation? Is it just the crowd cheering him on and going for another world record? Because, you know, that would be like Usain Bolt in the 100-yard dash winning by 50 yards. Yeah, no, it was, right? So if, if Jeffrey Espers at 50... As you say, he's more than 50% ahead of Jeffrey Esper um, and 100% ahead of, you Nick know, Reardon. many, many competitors, yeah, right. right? Yeah, right. So, but he's absolutely not competing against them. Yes, they are a baseline and he has to win. He's competing against himself and he's going for the record. And he got, you know, 73, then 74, then 75, and now 76. Um, and that's what he's, that's what he's doing. And, um, but you, it's very difficult. And I'm, and I'm sure this is true of every competitor and right. Like in LeBron and all these guys get heat for being so intense. And it's like, yo, dude, take it easy. You know, you, you can't be at that level and take it easy. Right. And that's the way Joey is. He wants to win. It is important. It is critically important to him. And, uh, and that's why he wins. All right, George Shea joined us, the chairman of Major League Eating and, of course, the Nathan's Famous Hot Dog Eating Contest, which we saw Joey Chestnut uh, dominate again yesterday with 76 hot dog and buns. And we have to say hot dog and buns. Remember, very, very important with that. George, did you ever anticipate where we are today with your contest and Major League Eating. I mean, the partnership with ESPN, the sponsors you've been able to attract. I mean, this thing really has taken on a life of its own. It's gained popularity over the years where it has just become this staple, not just for people in New York and Coney Island, but just, you know, sports fans and non-sports fans who tune in every 4th of July. Yeah, you know, there was never any business plan. We just sort of did it and, and did it to have fun. I have two great partners, my brother Richard and, and Dave Bear, and they're much better businessmen than, than I am, by the way. I spend a lot of time thinking about how I'm going to yell on stage, right? But they're, they're, they're much smarter. But the, the um, never, never a business plan. We just thought, like, what would be interesting? What would be funny? What would be interesting? What would be dramatic? And, and that's how we've approached it. And I think, you know, I think it has a lot more potential than we have exploited right with in the world of social media etc but as you mentioned you know we we did three DraftKings DraftKings is a partner and they had a free to play and you can bet in certain states right and and um, uh, 
so they've been a partner. We did a couple events in Las Vegas, um, you know, the, this winter. And Bounty, obviously, a big sponsor and perfect for, like, a messy contest. But, you know, the, the I think that the key here for us is to find more venues with um, that just sort of grand, the ability to get audience and to and to really get that intensity going. And for me, you know, I was really fortunate enough to come out and host the opening of Circa um, last October during COVID, you know, and just be the host independent, nothing to do with eating, uh, because Derek Stevens and the crew over there, Jeff Victor and stuff, and they're great guys, they, they're fans. And then, you know, for me, I just got to do, I just, I need more Joey's to introduce, right? And then... Uh, and Joey just needs more more pages in the history book. So I, I guess that's our goal. So so when it comes when you coming out here to Vegas, do you always just bet on the dog? <laughs> <laughs> I stay away as someone who's as someone who's connected with, with DraftKings, I can't bet. I can't even I can't even give advice, although it's not it's not too hard to say who's gonna win. The one thing I will say is people were asking me, my friends and stuff, like, where do you think this could go? I never would have thought Joey would be 75 because he did it inside with air conditioning but it happened to be like this super beautiful day it was 75 74 degrees it was like it was just the best most gorgeous day ever so maybe that's how he got it done but i never would have uh, uh, thought he'd break that so no coney island like on surf and Stillwell, but you know we were at the minor league ballpark yesterday Talk a little bit about that, and was there – what was the main reason why you couldn't go back to surf and Stillwell? Is one ready well, for that so, yet? Is that closed down there or what? No, you know what it is? It was we were planning ahead of the arc on restrictions being removed, right? So we were planning this in April, and if you recall, there were, you know, full, full restric- uh, restrictions, right? So – if we could have planned this in late June, we would have done it on the corner, but you can't, you know. So when we first started, the numbers were 25% of capacity could come in with social distancing, which would have been excruciating, right? But um, but by the time we got there, there were no restrictions, and that's why we did it in the ballpark, right? Because you can, you know, you, you the city was overwhelmed. They don't have to deal with planning, right? You can control it. You can control who's in, who's out. And then it just came to be like you could just, like, let them fly. Um, you know, very interesting thing, no vibe ever as good as that street corner in Coney Island. Very raw, very gritty, very, like, original, 100-year-old, this kind of thing. But there was huge appreciation for doing it in the ballpark and the ability to control everything. You have a bathroom. You have stands and beer. And it, it, there was, like, to a person from the audience, they're going, do this again here next year. You know, it doesn't have that. It doesn't have that picturesque street corner thing, but it was so much. It was so much more controllable, and everybody, you know, really enjoyed that. that and it, sort of and it came across really good on television as well, too. It really, it really played because I was one of those guys. Like, uh, how is this going to be? What the ballpark? Not sure, but it did play well. So, congratulations! You know, I, when, on that. when they were telling me, I was groaning inside. I'm going like, what could be more, you know, antiseptic? and boring right. than a ballpark, really, because no matter how good they are, they're all more or less the same. But you know what? It wasn't true. You, the, From the ESPN's view, you could see, you know, the harbor and the water and the ships, and, and, you know, the crowd was, like, into it. So I have to tell you, it was easier for me, right, just being on stage. It was easier getting in, out. The whole thing was just way easier. And I, I'd be really interested to see what happened with Nathan's because Nathan's sent, sells – 
a ton of hot dogs. As you guys know, it's like, a, and, and there are tons in, in Las Vegas, but really a beloved brand here. And, um, you know, they sell a ton on the 4th of July. I'd be really interested to see if they sold what they would have had the contest been right there in the corner. Because if that's the case, then, you know, you really have to say, maybe we do it there again, you know, but, but I, that's, that's a decision they will make. And, um, but I would be happy, obviously, in either location. Now, obviously, this is kind of your Super Bowl of the eating world with the Nathan's Hot Dog Contest every year. But what's some of the other events that you have fun doing? And is there a food that you haven't had an eating challenge for yet that you would like to try or see if people are interested in, uh, in doing down the road? Well, you know, and most of our most of our events come from fairs, festivals, food brands, right, restaurants, this kind of stuff. So there's usually a food that's driving it. If you're in Maine or something, right, and there's a festival, it might be lobster or something, right. And then you know you're in you're in Louisiana, and it's oysters, right. They they have an Acme oyster contest there. Acme oysters, a, a restaurant down there, huge huge festival, huge con- uh, contest. In Buffalo, we do chicken wings on Labor Day. One of my favorite events, probably my Honestly, one of you know, next to the Fourth of July, it's really, really close because twenty thousand fans, plenty of beer. It's Buffalo on Labor Day. The weather's perfect. That's a great one, right? And and then obviously, once again, that's because you're in Buffalo. You're doing chicken. But you know what was funny? We were talking recently. We did an event um, called the Glutton Bowl in two thousand one. I think it was right after actually nine eleven, um, and. Um, one of the guys, Oleg Zornitsky, ate four 32-ounce bowls of mayonnaise. <laughs> and, and I have to tell you, first of all, just the reaction you get from, from most people is like, that's worth it for just that. But, but the, the, he abandoned the spoon and used the spoon that God gave him. And he just scooped up that mayonnaise, and it was, it was monumental. So for me, I would like to see a rehash of the mayonnaise eating contest. I really would. <laughs> what is the wackiest reversal of fortune that uh, you've encompassed? And I would think uh, we almost had one here when you're describing the mayonnaise, especially in the heat. <laughs> well, was, the, mayonnaise, yeah, the mayonnaise was thankfully in a temperature control. You know, it's so funny. In the very early days, of, and I'm talking like 97, 98, 99, maybe 2000, there would be eaters who would suffer urges contrary to swallowing, right? There, it, it, a reversal of fortune, you know. Um, it just doesn't happen. It doesn't happen at all ever now. I'm, t- I'm telling you. Well, you know what? And we talked because- to Mickey last week, and, and she basically said the same thing to us. I said to Mickey, I said, have you had more reverse- reversal of fortunes in competition or your pregnancy right now? And she goes, really? Uh, n- neither one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, 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 they don't. And I'm telling you, but but that is because in the very early days, there were no competitive eaters. You'd grab people literally off. You'd be in a mall somewhere, and you'd grab people who are coming to go to the Orange Julius and, and buy a, a leather jacket or something, and you get them to compete, and then they might have trouble. It just doesn't happen. It just doesn't happen. And and by the way, you know, these eaters, you know, they're talking, as I, as I may have mentioned, I, as we did the Today Show this morning, and I was shooting the breeze with a bunch of the, it was virtual, but we were in our office, and a bunch of the eaters came over. And they're talking about this. They live and breathe this. It's just, it's just not even, that's just not even going to happen, you know? Okay, so we're talking about the eating contest, everything else that you do. How many hot dogs can you down, and what's your favorite thing to eat if you're just enjoying a yeah, meal? I want to know if George has entered a contest. There you go. 
So, so this is now this you've come across the the area of my shame. I I once did a, com- a competition against a journalist. Twelve minutes. He ate nine hot dogs, and here it is. I ate six, and I and I have to tell you something. I couldn't even almost get six done. And what that showed me is, first of all, yeah, I know. I this is you know. So I'm a I'm a social leader, not a competitive eater. It turns out, but. You know, it's much, much harder, right? Even just doing six, your your jaw gets tired and everything that's, you know, sort of, you you know, the, you, you're not there enjoying it because it becomes a, a, a an effort. And uh, so, yes, that will not be my future. My favorite, I'm a sweetaholic, so for me, I would eat brownies. Like, I just, I, I love brownies or anything sweet. And uh, But I did have Nathan's last night. We had a big barbecue. My sister and her family were here, and we had, like, a big barbecue and and lots of Nathan. I do love Nathan's hot dogs. For me, it's just one with you know, or two with mustard. That's what I. Love. There you yeah, go. And you don't dunk the bun, right? Yeah. You know, when you're eating for enjoyment. <laughs> well, unless you know, if I have to leave quickly, yes. But otherwise, generally, no. Yeah. Uh, yep. There you go, George. You're playing my song, man. I, you know, they asked me earlier. Well, you know, because I'm a hot dog fanatic as well. And Frank asked me, he said, "Well, how long did it take you to to have 75 hot dogs?" And I did it about well five five days, uh, five hot dogs a week. Uh, probably about three and a half months. And uh, so, yeah, Joey did it in 10 minutes it takes me about three and a half months but i love my hot dogs as well all right final thing for you my friend i I do have a little bit of a bone to pick with you because the last time i had you on i think it was you know prior to we didn't do the pandemic last year year before you promised me an intro my friend i don't know if you remember this or not you were supposed to cut me an intro like only george shea can do so i'm gonna hold you to it and i'm gonna need something now but you got to go back in your studio and you got to cut me one my friend all right, but how do I uh, how do I cut it for you? Like just against music and, and email it to you? Abs- like a, absolutely, a an MP3, uh, exactly. And if you need me to, right. you know, yeah, that's it. If I got to give you a couple look, of bullet I, points, look, there it is. Yeah. No, I, I, but you have to email me, right? So remind me because all I ever do is that's what I do. I introduce people. That's that's what I do, and I have all kinds of ideas. I was sitting there yesterday going, "Oh, this could work." So I will absolutely do it. I have it would be my honor. But you have to email me to remind me, and I and I will knock it out, and I'll put it against, I'll put it against either, I'll put it against non-commercial music. Well, you you guys. Well, no, I have my favorite song, George. I think I mentioned what, what this to is? you before. I don't know what it is, but it, it's it's one of your things that you introduce the guys to. It's got that Thomas Dolby sound, and I love it. I want to use that for my themes. That bum 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 bum. You know, when you you got to go and use like three different ones yesterday, but it's the main one that you had going there. That's my jam. That's the music. That's what I got to have, George. There it is. Well, that that is that is. Um, Booker Booker's beat. Hold on. Is that because I've been dying for that? I've been trying to find it. I can't find it. This is what I'm talking about. There it is. I've, three years I've been looking for this. There it is. It's Booker's beat. In a world beat. of nothing, of barren hills and cracked earth, and once proud oceans drained to sand, there will still be a monument to our existence. Yes, we 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 will get you something that. That is the great Badlands Booker himself to his song "Sweet Science." Now I know. And, um, Thank you yeah, very much. Yeah. Thank you very much, yeah. George. All right, you got to check that out. Look, look on, look on any music platform for "Sweet Science" Badlands Booker. See now, it's, it's oh, one of my favorite. You made songs, you yeah. made my day. You made my my holiday. You made my year, George. All right, all right. So uh, you you could you could take us out. Take us out, George. Give us give us something uh, like only George Shea can do. As uh, George Shea on the TC Martin Show here today, Las Vegas. Hit it, George. As we take okay. us out. Once in every ten generations, the heroes rise to lead us to victory. And so, before you now, they come. 
men who will run and charge to the ramparts of victory and who will never stand down, who will never submit, who will never surrender until their bones are cracked and splintered and scraped like chalk on pavement, they will fight on. All right, I don't know. I got a lot. That's outstanding. (laughs) George Che, outstanding stuff, my friend. Congratulations. You're my man, and we'll talk to you very, very soon. Thank you so much for having me, and I I hope everybody has a great summer, and and I look forward to talking to you guys later as as we approach, you know, different seasons and different events. And your next event in Vegas, we got to hook up, and uh, we got to have you in studio, my friend. I would love that. I would love that. Take care, my friend. Appreciate it. There there he is, George Shea, the chairman of Major League Eating, the Nathan's Famous Hot Dog Eating Contest, the voice in the face. All right. We're coming back with more. We got NBA. We got NHL. Dr. Christina Madison. And we're going across the pond. Euro 2020 Wimbledon. We're talking with Paul Buck Power Stewart. Live. The entertainment capital of the world. What a strike! What a goal! What a comeback! What a game! There are no words to describe it! It's the TC Martin Show. Prescription from the doctor, T.C. Martin. Largo, pifio. Messi la tiene, Messi, Messi, Messi. Ahí está Iniesta. Gol! Gol! Cerebro! Cerebro! Cerebro Iniesta! The doctor is now in. Glad to have you with us on this 5th of July. People still honoring the 4th of July because it's a holiday. We get it. All right. Hour number two. Glad to have you with us. T.C. Martin, Ballpark Frank with you. I want to thank George Shea for joining us last hour. You can catch that interview up on the web- website a little bit later on. The chairman of Major League Eating. And, of course, the voice and face of the Nathan's Famous Hot Dog Eating Contest. Christina Madison, our beautiful doctor will join us uh, a little bit later on in this hour as well too but uh we've got nba playoffs tomorrow we'll uh, start diving into that especially tomorrow we have a series now with the phoenix suns and the milwaukee bucks so and we've got possibly the final nhl game of the year tonight which i think it will be the tampa bay lightning trying to close out the montreal Canadiens. Yeah, and let's be honest, too. The, a lot of people are celebrating the 4th of July because it was on a Sunday, so they want that three-day weekend. Yes. Which you can't totally blame them for, but yeah, I mean, the 4th of Entitled. July. Entitled. Yeah. We yeah. Know a lot of people took Friday off, too. They got the four-day weekend, right? Yeah, well. <laughs> Nothing wrong with that. All right. We go right now across the pond, as we like to say, with our very good friend who is the Tampa Bay Buccaneers I don't know what he is. I mean, he's a, he's a fanatic. He's a lunatic. Uh, but he's a journalist. He's a broadcaster as well there in jolly old England. And we thought, what a great time to have our good friend Paul Buck Power Stewart on. We're not in football season yet, so we, we could temper 
temper his uh, you know excitement right now. But he's a Tampa Bay Bucks guy. We figured, well, yeah, he's a Tampa Bay Lightning guy. But more importantly, it's Euro 2020. And the bloody English are in the semifinals of Euro 2020. Paul Stewart, what's going on? TC, Frank, it's a pleasure to talk to you from across the Atlantic. And yes, everyone here in uh, England is going pretty crazy because England are on the verge of something very special as a national soccer team. Unbelievable. But let's first talk about a little 4th of July. Now, we don't know what 4th of July is like there for you, but we know there's a lot of transplants. There's Americans over there, uh, Paul. How, how do... Uh, how do Brits in general spend their Fourth of July? Is it is it an anti day? Do they kind of you know tag along to an American tradition? What's going on over there? And how do you spend your Fourth of July? Um, to us, it's the day after the third of July and the day before the fifth of July. It's not something we celebrate at all. We tend to get more involved with Thanksgiving because obviously that corresponds with three NFL games taking place. And I'll often celebrate Thanksgiving with my with my friends in Florida, sort of you know across across the internet. But to us, yeah, the fourth of July isn't just something we really do over here. But I mean, I, I sat down, I had a barbecue, I had a sausage and a burger yesterday. I've got a I got my one beer out of the rack yesterday, so I did my little bit for to celebrate the American holiday. Yeah, because uh, let's face it, I mean, you follow these American teams, so I mean, you got to engage in a, a little bit of celebration, man. I mean, what was that you said you had uh, on the grill? You had what? A dog and what? I had a I had a burger and a sausage. That's my idea of a barbecue. A burger and a sausage. Yeah, a burger. Okay, okay, good. I didn't know. It's- I didn't, I didn't eat quite as many hot dogs as, as George Che was talking about earlier. I think I would take a lot longer than the three months you would there, TC. Is hot dogs a thing over in England? Well, not really. That we would we tend to have, we would call them sausages rather than hot dogs. Okay. Um, so it's a little more probably a bit more better for you than some of the hot dogs I've had over in the states. <laughs> but no, it, it's something we would regard as American food. And if you wanted to be all American, you'd go with it. But we'd stick to the English things for our barbecues. Now, if you call hot dogs sausages, then what do you call like Italian sausage and stuff like that? Italian sausage would stick with that, Frank. So, so, so hot dogs are sausages, and sausages are sausages too. Yeah, but I mean, we obviously we could, you know we've got the thing about chips and crisps, you know the the different things we have for our descriptions here. But no, to us it really was just a normal Sunday here. But of course, everyone in England is just totally focused, like you said, on on the whole Euro football right now. How big is Wimbledon over there? Because obviously, I, I'm a big tennis fan, and I watch that. I would imagine that that's. That's kind of a big topic sports-wise over there. Although, of course, on Sunday, there's no matches on the middle Sunday of Wimbledon. That's correct. So Wimbledon tennis always takes place on the final week of June, the first week of July. And it's one of those great British sporting traditions. It's one of the four major Grand Slam tennis tournaments. It's the only one played on grass. And the British interest is very much on the British players. Mm. So last week... Andy Murray made his comeback, probably almost like a last hurrah, and played three matches, all of which were late evening, shown on British TV, and everyone was watching it. The last British woman player, Emma Raducanu, got knocked out today. She had to retire from her match when, to be honest, she was going to get beaten. But the British fans really get behind the British players who do well. But now the focus will really turn to the match everyone wants to see, which is, of course, going to be um, against Federer, against Djokovic, hopefully in the final of the men's singles on Sunday. All right, Paul Buckpower-Stewart joined us from England 
All right, my friend. Uh, you know, I wasn't too happy with uh, your English team, uh, you know, beating Germany there last week. And uh, now you go ahead and you, you blast Ukraine, and now you guys are into the semifinals there. What is it like? And let, let, let's go back a little bit because we know that England has not fared well against Germany in recent times. Uh, that really is a quote-unquote rivalry back there, isn't it? Yes, it is. Because, I mean, obviously it goes beyond football. It goes maybe back to something that finished in 1945. Um, we, so we've always had a long-standing rivalry with the Germans. We beat them in the final of the 1966 World Cup. That was the only major tournament England have ever won. Since then, we reached the semi-finals in 1990. We lost to Germany on penalties. We reached the semi-finals in 1996. We lost to the Germans on penalties. You can see a trend developing here. So the fact that we managed to beat them last week, and admittedly, this was not a very good German team, but we still beat them 2-0. And, of course, it was massive celebrations. Now, what happens over here, TC, that you guys in America wouldn't do is we're used to supporting our national team. You guys in America don't really get behind America as a country in any real big sporting events. But over here, you put aside your support for Manchester United or Chelsea so you can support England in big international events. So this is why all the pubs and bars were packed with England fans cheering on their country. And on Wednesday night when they play Denmark, pretty much this country will come to a standstill because everyone will be watching the game. No, you're absolutely correct with that. And again, I'm a big you know uh, G- uh, German national team follower, and of course, I like the Bundesliga. We have talked about that before, so I get more excited about you know the German national team than I do our own over here in in America. Because, and again, you hit the nail on the head, Paul. It's just because the, the people here they just they just have not been brought up that way, haven't been educated that way, because we really don't have that many national competitions. I mean, you know, USA men's soccer, really, it's there's nothing there. The women's side is the better part of, of the soccer, uh, you know, federation, but you know, no one really watches that or really cares about that. Well, they're, they're just expected to win all the time, too. It's, yeah. more like, it's more like people focus more if they don't win, because right. then it's like, how did that happen? We're the best in the world. But Paul's right, though. We don't get behind it, though. Even though the, the American women are pretty dominant. It's not like you know you can hardly wait for the, to see them play in friendlies and other competitions, oh, yeah. World Cup, Copas, whatever it is. And it is a totally different uh, feeling, I guess, society because we are so in tune to our leagues and our sports here that you know, from a national perspective, I mean, think about it. We don't, you know, we get behind our Olympic teams. But those pretty much are individuals. But even like, you know, our, our NBA dream team, so to speak, it's like, okay, we expect them to win or whatever. But it's not like these competitions happen year-round like England and Germany and France and Italy, uh, you know, with, with soccer and some of these other sports. Well, yeah, we, we focus on them when they're winning in that kind of stuff. In England, the soccer team, they're behind them win, lose, yeah. or draw. Over here, it's like, yeah, everybody knows Simone Biles because she's the greatest of all time in it. But, you know, they don't necessarily know all the other ones on the team. And if one of the teams are down, it's like, well, okay, we won't watch the men's soccer because they're not that good. So let's focus on the people that are going to win. We don't support them just because it's the USA. We support championships over here a little bit more, which isn't necessarily fair, but it's the way it's done. And it's a different culture. I mean, we understand. Over here, they expect to win all the time. Americans expect to win every time they hit the field in any sport. Yeah. So with your team over there, Paul, what what are they thinking here? I mean, when the draw came out and you saw that you're going to have that match 
in the first round of the knockout stage against Germany. I know conventional wisdom said, hey, the winner of that match is probably going to be in the final. Is that what you were thinking? I think so. I mean, you've got to understand the British press goes completely crazy over anything like this, you know, and it's dominating all the sporting pages. There's even a story today about a cat that has been predicting the results of every game. They put some food down in front of this cat with all the different results. And this cat, Mookie, has predicted the winners of the last two England matches. So everyone is now waiting to see what Mookie the cat is going to predict for the game against Denmark, you know, what the score's going to be. This is how crazy the British press have gone. And the only way I can describe it for the people driving around Vegas would be if the Golden Knights were playing in the Stanley Cup, you would have big watching parties to watch the games that were in the other city. Now, imagine that, not just across Vegas, but across the whole country. That is what is happening with England soccer, with everyone watching the team play, because they can only, we're going to be up to about 75% capacity at Wembley, which is about 60,000 for Wednesday night. There's going to be 25 million people watching in bars and clubs across Britain. Okay, uh, Paul, I know exactly what you're talking about. I know who that cat is that you're talking about. Confuse the cat. <laughs> See, the cat's famous, TC. It's made it across the Atlantic. <laughs> Confuse the cat. One of my favorite. Frank and I talk about Confuse the Cat with Monty Python all the time. It's one of the, one of the great <laughs> sketches of all time. And, and you wh- guys love those cats over there. Wh- what is the cat's go-to meal when he's predicting a soccer game? <laughs> I have no idea. I've only I've only just picked up on this story, and I just think it's fantastic. I mean, being a journalist, you're always looking for a different angle on things, and, and stuff like this is just great. But to be honest, if 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 England don't win, then Thursday morning the whole country will be in mourning. If we if we do win, which we should do, then everyone's going to be focused on the final next Sunday against Italy or Spain. So Thursday morning, basically, either everybody's not going to work because they're drunk and celebrating. Or they're depressed and they're they're drowning their sorrows. Yeah, but it's going to be the same as me tonight because I'm intending to stay up all night and watch Game Four of the Stanley Cup. So I could guess I'd be in the same position tomorrow morning. So, Paul, what is the feeling there as you get ready to play Ukraine? Right, I mean Denmark. I mean you're playing you're mm-hmm. playing Denmark on Wednesday. And you, you, you beat Germany, you knocked them off, you, you, you took care of Ukraine rather handily. Now you're facing the, the, the Danes here. What is the feeling? Is it, are you guys feeling a little skittish, so to speak? Or are you feeling, no, we're, we're beating the Danes? Because the Danes look very, very impressive uh, over the weekend. Oh, it, it's totally... It's a landslide towards England are going to win now. I mean, there's a famous um, soccer song that came out about 25 years ago called Football's Coming Home, which was around the Euros in 96. And that's being played nonstop with this year's version of it. Right now, the thought of England not winning is not even being considered in the British media. Everyone just assumes they're going to win. We've just got to turn up. England will win, and that's how it goes. But, I mean, it's the same way, you know, if, if you're that passionate about your country in anything, you, you like you, Frank just said, you assume you're going to win. So then when it comes to that, I mean, is that bulletin board material for Denmark going in and going, this whole country is already celebrating that they're getting beyond us. Let's go out there and show them something different. 
Not really, because pretty much probably everyone in Denmark is assuming the same thing about their country, Frank. You're talking about national pride. And, you know, it's it, you're so blinkered, it doesn't matter. There's no kind of bulletin board material you could use to to influence the game or, or to sort of motivate your players any further. You're playing for your country, and there's no higher honour in any sport. I like the blinkered. I like the horse racing reference there when you're talking <laughs> soccer. <laughs> we got cats. we got horse racing. we got Paul Buck Power Stewart in England. He's staying up all night. He's got his Tampa Bay Lightning jersey on. We'll get to that here in a minute. But just closing out the Euro 2020. Uh, again, Americans really fully don't understand the the World Cup. They think is huge, but the, the European Cup is just as important. Uh, if you are European, uh, right, Paul? I mean, put it in context here on how English footballers think about this competition in comparison to the World Cup and in other competitions. It, it, it's second to the World Cup. I mean, the World Cup is the big one you want to win. But I think because England have only won one major championship, which is in 1966, um, then, you know, it, it's a big thing to win. And because the final, semi-finals and final are being played in Wembley, you know, it is a real chance to, to do something in your own home stadium, in your own country. And I think just like every other country around the world, we've all had a pretty tough time the last 12 to 18 months. If you could have something like this coincided with the news today from the British government that a lot of restrictions on COVID are being lifted, it would just be one of those huge, you know, beautiful moments, you know, feel good for the whole country, and the whole country will celebrate if it happens. Now, I noticed you mentioned earlier that Wembley Stadium is going up to about 75% capacity. I know Wimbledon today went up to 100% capacity. Why isn't Wembley 100? Is it just because it's so much bigger and there's so many more people that they're still playing it a little bit safe? I think so. I mean, also, they're restricted by what the European football unions have told them. And that's been a bit of a bone of contention because some of the European officials have said that they should all be allowed to come into the UK with no kind of quarantine because they're officials. You know, there's been a lot of controversy about that. Wimbledon goes up. Yes, it's gone up to full capacity. That was always planned because it's going to be what they call a test event where they were going to see how effective, you know, the screening and the testing was going to be. Wembley was, you know, they only announced it going to 75% last week so I don't think there was time to go any further but the plan today, the announcements today would be from July the 19th there'll be full attendance at all sporting events going forward So Paul let me ask you, when you get ready to watch the game on Wednesday against Denmark, uh, what do you what are you dressed in? All right, So are you going current England jersey? Do you got the whites? You got the reds? You one of these guys that have to have the, the, the latest jerseys, the shirt? You go throwback, you go Wayne Rooney, you go uh, you know uh, David Beckham, Bobby Charlton. What do you do? What does Paul Buckpower Stewart wear on England game day? Oh, I'm going to be terrible. So when we played Ukraine last Saturday, I had the England-Ukraine game on my iPad and I was watching the Tampa Bay's baseball game on my main TV because I'm a one-off. You know that. We've talked about that on the show. But believe me, yeah, pretty much if, you, if you're going to watch England play, you wear some kind of England shirt. And yes, throwbacks are very popular, you know, back to different eras. And yeah, the, you know, the 66 World Cup of Bobby Charlton. Um, you might be a David Beckham shirt. One from the early 80s is very popular. But yeah, people do wear their shirts and they put aside their tribal interests for their own club teams to come together to support England. The only people who won't be supporting England are all the Scotland fans, because Scotland fans don't like England, and they'll be rooting for Denmark on Wednesday. Ah, blimey. 
All right, so then I have to ask you, you've mentioned what you're wearing for the soccer. What jersey are you wearing tonight for the Tampa Bay Lightning? Well, just I know Justin's sporting his Chicago Blackhawks shirt at the moment. I, I'm sporting one of my Tampa Bay Lightning shirts because I think tonight is the night that it's going to be the first sweep in the Stanley Cup in over 25 years, and the Tampa Bay Lightning are going to repeat as champions this evening. So, so at least Canada's finally going to get to see the Cup again. They're just not going to be able to celebrate winning it. Yeah, I did, I did think it was quite funny how in Game 3 they was restricted attendance at the Bell Centre and there was only about 3,500 people inside the arena. But they had a camera shot outside of 20,000 Canadian fans all packed in celebrating. Now, what was quite nice was the Tampa Bay Lightning did their bit for safety. So by the time the third period rolled around, there were only about 50 people left outside. Everyone else had gone home. Now, Paul, you've told us before when we were dealing with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers playoff games, the Super Bowl, that you got some crazy looks and, you know, people in your neighborhood are, are, you know, saying, hey, keep the noise down. You're staying up late. Okay, that's football. And I think the English, they kind of get that, you know, American football. But how nuts do they really think you are talking about ice hockey and wearing a Tampa Bay Lightning? This even isn't even like... You know, an old school original six. I mean, this is this isn't your garden variety type of favorite hockey team here. What kind of feedback do you get there? Um, I think people people who know me know I support all Tampa Bay sports because I because I was a Buccaneer fan originally, and I've been going out to Florida. Right, well, let's for talk years. about people on the streets then, okay? People that don't know you, <laughs> they're gonna say this guy is whacked. Who is this clown? I've had people recognize me wearing sort of a lightning shirt going, hey, you know, I like the jersey. And it was quite funny because obviously after the Super Bowl, I celebrated really quietly because it was sort of three o'clock in the morning. And my neighbor, Sarah, actually listened to the show and she said to me, no, you could have celebrated. You could have you could have cheered out loud. I wouldn't have minded. Well, I've now moved house so I can now celebrate quite loudly without anyone hearing. So round about 3.30 UK time tomorrow morning, which will be about what? So it's you know, 10.30 East Coast time. The Lightning are going to be hoisting the Stanley Cup, and I'm going to be cheering pretty loudly. Okay, so we know that you had a burger and a sausage for 4th of July or whatever. <laughs> what, what, what is your go-to meal tonight while you're watching Tampa Bay try to wrap up and sweep the Stanley Cup final? Um, anything to keep me awake because I've got to be at work at 8 o'clock tomorrow morning, Frank. <laughs> I mean, monster energy drinks or something? I mean, think about it. It's like 1130 already. So he's had dinner, you know, five or six hours ago probably. So, yeah, we're talking breakfast. We're yeah. talking midnight well, snack. Well, I know it's an yeah. eight-hour difference, yeah. and I know that from watching Wimbledon every single night because yeah. I have to get up at like 3 o'clock in the morning to start watching Wimbledon. Yeah, I, th- I think Justin's going to send me one of his energy drinks and he keeps waving at me across the camera. <laughs> well, it, it'll be an empty can because this guy downs those things like uh, <sighs> like Joey Chestnut uh, downs hot dogs. <laughs> I, I, think, I think the thing with the hockey is hockey is pretty popular over here because there is a British hockey league. It's not quite as popular as the NFL is, which is the main American sport that's been transplanted. But, you know, people go to watch British hockey games. They love watching the coverage. And the fact, you know, we can sit and watch tonight's game live and enjoy it it's quite a big thing what kind of television coverage do you get here because here in the states i mean people have a hard time trying to find these games because they're not on on regular broadcast television you have to go cable or satellite at times yeah, we get, I mean, I've got the NHL um, subscription, so I get coverage of all, so I've watched every Lightning game this season, usually on delay the day afterwards. But we've had the Kenny Albert commentary um, for the games this year. 
you know, I think they had the Canadian Sportsnet coverage for game three, which was just a little bit biased, and they weren't very happy by the end of the third period. But yeah, we've been okay to get all the games, and the NHL is, it, it's quite sad in a way that the international coverage of things like the NFL and baseball and hockey, it's better sometimes for us than it's for you guys in America. Okay, so you've mentioned hockey, football, different things, the Euro Cup and that. What is the excitement level right now in England for the Olympics coming up? And what's that going to, what is the time difference between that? Is is it going to be a time again where if people want to see something live, they're going to be up in the middle of the night trying to watch it? Um, I think so. I mean, from my memory, Tokyo's about 10 hours ahead. The main story here in the British press right now is, is the Olympics is still a month away. And we've still got Wimbledon and the soccer and the Open Golf Championship. We've got all these different sporting things going on. So at the moment, the Olympics are in the distance. The main story has been, should we be going to Tokyo in a COVID pandemic. That has been the main story right now. I think as we get nearer to the end of July and the Olympics roll around, people will get more excited. But at the moment, it's still on the horizon and hasn't really come onto the sports pages. All right. He is Paul Buckpower Stewart. He's got his lightning gear on. He's ready for the lightning to close out the Stanley Cup Finals tonight against the Montreal Canadiens. They lead the series 3-0. Uh, final score prediction, Paul. We're writing it down. Let's go. You're the prognosticator. I, I I'm just going to say I think Vasilevsky will pitch another shutout because every time we've clinched in the Stanley Cup last year and all three rounds this year, he's, he's pitched a shutout. So right now, my body language is all about no goals. The Lightning are going to win. And from this brutal Brit, I'm sorry to the Canadians, but it's going to be another year without a cup. It's staying in Tampa because Champa Bay is the home of all the world championship teams right now. Oh, no. No, he didn't say Champa Bay. TJ Reeves has bled into you. Oh, my goodness. Tom Brady copyrighted the slogan, and I've picked it up as well. I just like how TC threw a a soccer verbiage in there when he said it's a 3-0 in the series That's right funny. now when he's talking hockey. There you go. There you go. Uh, all, all he needed was, oh, it's 3-0, eh? Yeah. <laughs> well, that'd, yeah, be, that'd be Canadian talk, eh? Well, that'd be soccer right. and, and, and Canada. Uh, together, so. Good stuff, Paul. All right, my friend. Uh, we'll definitely uh, get you back on. And remember, uh, try to uh, you know contain yourself. I know we don't want you <laughs> to get to, you know, what do, what do they call uh, the jail cell there? What do they call it? Uh, the pokey or what? We don't get you taken off you don't, for you don't... being loud and rude in the middle of the night because people are not going to have any idea what you're cheering about here on our early Tuesday morning. You don't want the Bobbies breaking down his door? Is that the deal? Yeah, no, the Bobbies. I, I've got to get out of jail free card. I can just say I'm on the TC Martin show and I'll be allowed to get away with anything. There you go, my friend. All right. Might you get, might you get you a longer sentence, too. <laughs> <laughs> Depends on what province you're in or something like that as well. So there you go. Anyway, well, absolutely just talk to you. Wishing you all the very best from across the Atlantic. So to everyone listening, be safe and keep enjoying your sports. All right, great, my friend. And, and just remember, when you tell him you're on the T.C. Martin Show, don't tell him he's a big Germany soccer fan. <laughs> this is true. <laughs> that, that jersey will not be worn for at least another two years for me. Uh, Yogi Lowe, see ya, goodbye, good riddance. I, 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 I still have a lot of... Uh, hey, wait, are you sure uh, it's another two years? Because uh, it's the 2020, even though it's 2021. Yeah. Won't there be another thing I'm, in 2022? I'm the World Cup, my friend. I'm, I'm, I'm looking at the World Cup. So next year. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, next one year. year. One he, year. Yeah. Because, You're right. Because it's only one year away. Yeah. Remember the crazy ultra universe yeah. we live in in this day and age. Exactly. I don't even know what year it is. I don't know. I'm riding a yellow submarine. That's what I'm doing, Paul. There you go. <laughs> Get that mean Mr. Mustard belt for you. Yeah. All right, Paul Stewart. 
Appreciate him as always. And uh, I got a feeling we'll be talking to him more and more come football season as well, too. All right, we come back. Dr. Christina Madison will join us, give us the latest COVID update. And yes, Vegas is back. Crowds are back. It's packed. We'll dive into that next. (laughs) Check out his big stethoscope. Or not. It's the Dr. T.C. Martin. Fifth of July. Seems weird, right? But Paul Stewart's right. Over in England. Single yeah. single Jolio doesn't single. have the same ring. <laughs> Jolio. <laughs> he said Jolio. I was gonna say, is that a new form of uh, you know you know Gelato? Like, like one of the new uh yeah, things at Baskin Robbins or yeah, something like exactly. that. Exactly. Yeah, good stuff. The new vegan uh vegan shake at Baskin Robbins, a single Jolio. <laughs> it's a five dollar shake. <laughs> $5 shake in 1994. That was expensive. <laughs> Not so much anymore. No. No, it's pretty much status quo. <laughs> All right. I don't know how our next guest is going to follow up what we've already done today. I mean, George Shea, the Nathan's Famous Hot Dog Eating Contest. Uh, George Shea brought it. Paul Buckpower Stewart across the pond talking about Tampa Bay Lightning, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, and Jolly Old England getting ready for the Euro 2020, even though we're in 2021. Uh, big match, uh, England against Denmark. So where do we go now? We go to the lovely Dr. Christina Madison, our public health guru and expert. What is going on? Hey, guys. So I, I love that conversation you guys were having about uh, vegan milkshakes because uh, I believe that uh, is it Fat Burger they have vegan milkshakes now. They they actually have a vegan ice cream shop in the new resorts world, which I think is like one of the only. It's all vegan because they said that they're trying to get a d- different clientele there. So if you want vegan stuff, I did see on the news where there is a. Total vegan ice cream, milkshakes, everything shop at the new resorts. World. Yes, yes, and we we thought about you when we read that article. Definitely, absolutely, because, gotta stay fabulous. Yeah, because as you know, you're talking about Fat Burger milkshakes. Don't be coy. You know, you dined with us at Fat Burger, and you were glancing the menu, and Frank and I are going chocolate shake, chocolate shake, oh Oreo shake, this and that. And who's the one person in the group says, "Can I get a vegan shake?" Are you crazy? Which I was very disappointed because the one that I wanted, they're like, actually, it's not really all vegan. Yeah, exactly. It's is it? It's really not vegan. But why do you call it vegan then? Yeah, what is it like? Uh, you know, ten percent vegan, five percent vegan. I, I don't. Care. I don't know. It's kind of like watching one of those TV movies, and they say based on a real story or something like that. This is this is based on what a vegan shake would be if we actually had them. Right. Exactly. And we'll still charge you like. Nine dollars for it. How's that? It's the impossible shake. But I'm bummed. Christina, Vegas is back. We're witnessing it firsthand here. Fourth of July, crowds are going crazy. People are flocking all over the strip, everywhere else. I don't know about you, but uh, haven't seen a whole bunch of masks over the weekend. Give, give me your take on this. Yeah, so uh, I was lucky enough to uh, score some tickets to Bill Burr on Saturday night. And I'm telling you, I'm pretty sure my husband and I were like literally the only people wearing masks. See, I was going to ask you that. I was going to ask you that. We masked. Yeah, we masked. Um, And that's just because I don't know, right? Like there's all these people from, you know, who knows where. Uh, One thing I will tell you that I really uh, appreciated was that 
you know, the comic that came and warmed up for him, uh, he made a point of talking about how the fact that he was vaxxed. He was like, I'm double vaxxed. And he was like, he's so excited to, you know, be on stage. But yeah, it was, uh, you know, everyone uh, I saw for the most part that wasn't an employee uh, was unmasked for sure. It was like, you know, uh, very exclusive. You couldn't get in unless you either were on a guest list, going to eat at a restaurant, or obviously had a ticket to a venue, or if you were staying there, which I also thought was really interesting as well. So it wasn't overly crowded um, once you got inside the property, but outside the property, goodness gracious. I mean, it was like ants on a log. There were so many people outside. <laughs> So you know that when you go see a comedy show and the comedian starts to say something, there's that one person, usually a goofball, up in the rafters, like, yeah, they say something. The and heckler the, guy the, that wants to be the star right, of the right. show. So here's what happened on on Saturday night at the Cosmopolitan, the Chelsea. So when that comedian was talking about being vaxxed, there was one lady that went, woo-woo, yeah! That was her. That's Dr. Christina Madison. Oh, my God. You're hilarious. <laughs> But yeah. it just sounded a little bit muffled. You did. Admit it. You did. You shouted out when he said that he was vaxxed, correct? I, I was happy, but I'm pretty sure that my, <laughs> you know, my little bit of joy was drowned out by most everyone else there. But we had some fantastic seats. Uh, we were about uh, seven rows from the center of the stage. It was pretty fantastic. <laughs> well, glad that you had a, a great time. And as you know, I was uh, at, at the show, a uh, different show that you were at. But uh, yeah, Bill Burr was fantastic. All the comedians were great. And I saw the same thing, that the only people I saw wearing masks were the ushers. And uh, mm-hmm. so, yeah, we're about like five, seven rows back. And then you, the, you know, you have the, the usher that's playing like security guard. So he is like facing you. I don't know if you were you, you noticed that. But here's the guy on the chair on, on the ground level. And he's looking at the crowd. And I'm looking at, number one, what, what is this guy going to do if something actually breaks out? Because, you know, he was like 60 years old, uh, probably weighed about 130 pounds. Like, he's not going to do anything in his little coat and tie and his mask on there. And. And then, uh, you know, he w- w- what's he going to do? I, was he going to come up and tell someone, you know, to, to, to chill out? But uh, I was always curious about these ushers like that that also try to play security guards at these large events. You know, and I think part of it, one of the things that I wonder a little bit is, is the mask wearing, is it a cultural thing a little bit? Because the last thing I was at that I saw a lot of people wearing a mask was when we saw, in a way, the monster in the yes. fight. Yes. Because in the Asian community, a lot of those people were still wearing masks at that particular event, more so than anything I've been to since they've opened things up in a long time. Yeah. Yeah, that's really interesting that you mentioned that because during the day I actually was at Fashion Show Mall and it seemed like there were a lot of foreign tourists that were masking. So I would say a good 50-60% of the people there were masked and I would say it's probably because obviously with the proximity to the Strip, uh, it seemed like there were a lot of people from out of town that were wearing masks. So I'm not sure if it was, you know, the difference in the venue, maybe because they weren't sure if mask wearing was going to be required uh, at, you know, individual stores. Because a lot of the stores, which I also thought was really interesting, um, most of them had hand sanitizer, like right when you first walked in, and then had a sign that said, if you are fully vaccinated, masks are optional, but obviously with the thought process there that they could have potentially, you know, asked you to wear a mask if you weren't vaccinated. But again, 
I'm not seeing a lot of mask police, you know, running around asking people if they're fully vaccinated, right? And we know uh, that we weren't able to meet the Biden administration's goal of getting 70% of all adults uh, having at least one vaccination by the July 4th holiday. So uh, it, it was an interesting, uh, you know, to see the difference between like the comedy venue and the casino versus going to a place where there were stores where they could potentially uh, deny service if you, you know, maybe weren't vaccinated or, or potentially, you know, weren't masked. So I just thought it was interesting. Yeah, see, and I was asking myself that because, you know, I'm, I'm curious about these, these type of things. When I see people, and I've been noticing this a lot, I mean, very few people are wearing masks. So now I'm really concentrating on the people that are wearing masks. And I'm wondering, okay, are they wearing masks because they're not vaccinated or, you know, what, you know, what would be the reasoning for that or a cultural thing? I've been, you know, thinking about that as well, too. Or these, you know, just, uh, you know, people that, that, that still feel that, you know, OK, that they could still catch it or not, even if they are vaccinated. What do you think the percentage is with that, Christina? Yeah, I, it, that's a really interesting perspective. I would say it's probably a mix. Um, obviously, I know people that are, you know, have chronic medical conditions, are on medications that may suppress their immune system, uh, might, you know, be have a health condition that actually makes them more susceptible to having complications associated with COVID. And so they've just chosen to continue to mask just because of their own personal safety, because the vaccine, even if they are fully vaccinated, may not work as well in, in them. And so I think it's a mix. It's a mix of people who are doing it for their own health and safety, and then also a mix of people who uh, feel like because they don't know others' vaccine status, it's in their best interest to still wear a mask. And that's kind of where I'm falling on that side. So, you know, when I was in an indoor space and especially around a bunch of people that I had no idea what their vaccine status was, I wore a mask. You know, contrast that with the outdoor Fourth of July, you know, holiday party that we went to with my kids. We were unvaxxed and, or excuse me, we were unmasked. Uh, but we were all outside. And so I think, you know, a little bit of difference there as far as like indoor versus outdoor, whether or not you're around people who you know their vaccine status or not. And I've seen some interviews with some people, too. And uh, it seems like, like you mentioned, some people say they're still wearing their masks because they don't trust the other people around that aren't wearing them to actually be vaccinated. I've also uh, found that interesting because I've seen some interviews with some older people and they said they're basically still wearing their masks because their grandchildren or maybe, you know, their, their younger children or something like that haven't been vaccinated yet because of their age. And they want to make sure that they're still safe around them. Yeah, great perspective also. So my children are both young and are not eligible for vaccination. And so I have to be an example for them, right? So if I'm taking them somewhere in a public place and I expect them to be masked, I want a mask as well so that they can model that behavior. Because until they can get vaccinated, I have to ensure that they continue to wear their mask. And so it's kind of a thing that I do with my daughter now. She, she'll help me with my mask, and then I help her put her mask on. So that's also another perspective as well that I think a lot of parents um, may have, especially if their kids are too young to be vaccinated. Yeah, you don't want to be that parent that says, do as I say, not as I do. Absolutely. 
Dr. Christina Madison, Roseman University. The public health pharmacist joins us as we're talking about Vegas getting back to normal here. So, But here's another thing that's, that's happening. We've touched upon this before. Uh, the Delta variants is, is what we're hearing, and it's really striking uh, alarming numbers. Uh, you know, overseas, we're seeing in different countries are hard hit. We got the Olympics that we talked with you about before. We're getting a little bit closer to that. Give us an update here as far as the United States and even in our community here uh, in Las Vegas regarding the Delta variants. What do we know about this and where are we at now? Yeah, so the biggest thing that I can you know tell your listeners is that it it is definitely something to be concerned about. Uh, we are seeing what we call more breakthrough cases, which is people who have been fully vaccinated still testing positive for COVID-19. In addition to that, we know that people who are unvaccinated are much more likely to be hospitalized if they come in contact with this particular variant. Um, If you look at sort of the country as a whole, uh, those areas where there are lower rates of vaccination, obviously those uh, areas of the country like the southeast are being hit very hard. Um, And then you kind of contrast that with us here in Nevada. So we're not, um, you know, we're kind of in the middle. About half of our cases, of our new cases, are now coming back positive for the Delta variant, um, which is very much in kind with what we know sort of the progression of the U.S. is most likely going to get to um, as we have more people that are choosing to be unvaccinated, right? Because we're giving the virus a place to replicate and for it to spread. And so uh, the more unvaccinated people that are infected, the potential more likely risk there are for those breakthrough cases. And so, uh, you know, we are unfortunately we're at a point now where our seven day rolling average for the first time in weeks is actually up, not down. Our percent positivity rate is now way above the 5% goal that WHO recommends. So last time I checked, we were at around 12% here in Clark County. Um, So, yeah, I mean, we're not going in the right direction. Um, And it it is uh, a little bit concerning. I will say that we are in much better situation than we were this time last 4th of July. Because remember, we saw that big spike in cases after people gathered uh, without, you know, uh, recommendations to do so last year at this time. Um, But it is still worrisome, especially because there are so many people who are, A, choosing to remain unvaccinated, B, uh, you know, around other people who are likely not vaccinated, and C, they're taking, um, you know, risks because they're gathering in these really large groups. And again, I say this all the time, but as much as we want to be done with this virus, this virus is not done with us. And so we just have to really, you know, be mindful that the vaccine is not a silver bullet and we still are not completely out of the woods yet. You know, you brought up a couple of interesting points, and I wanted to get your thoughts on it. You mentioned the WHO, the World Health Organization, and they're telling everybody right now that you still need to mask up. Then the CDC over here is saying that you don't need masks anymore. Throughout this pandemic, we've seen different views on things all over the place about what you should or shouldn't do. 
Shouldn't there be a united front where they come to the same conclusion instead of giving all these mixed messages to people all over the place? Because it seems like there's been nothing consistent or on the same uh, timeline or grid for anybody throughout this entire thing, and it's still going on. Yeah, I I mean, I definitely think that it is uh, something that is a challenge. And obviously, when we think about recommendations for the global health community versus us here in the United States, there is a little bit of a difference. Remember, the the global community right now with their COVAX program, they have not been able to vaccinate the same amount of people that we have here in the United States. So as much as we did fall short of that goal, we are still mountains and, you know, valleys better than most industrialized countries. You know, we even see our our neighbors to the north, uh, Canada, are are struggling with getting their population vaccinated because of the fact that they were not able to secure enough vaccines to vaccinate their population. And so recommendations from the global community are really based on the fact that they have not been able to vaccinate such a large portion of their population versus here in the U.S. we really have. And so, again, I think that the CDC, um, obviously, uh, you know, they are coming from a place of science. Obviously, I wish that they were on uh, the same page with WHO and maybe came out with some stronger language around mask wearing, especially with larger gatherings where there may be um, a larger proportion of unvaccinated people. But at this point, I think, you know, they are doing the best that they can and really basing it on the fact that we have been able to vaccinate such a large portion of our population. But I think where it starts getting, you know, a little bit, you know, tricky is once we start getting into the colder months, uh, the weathers are going to change. Uh, we're going to be, you know, doing more things indoors. The kids are going to go back to school. That's when I'm going to start getting a little bit more concerned, especially because we are still, you know, very low uh, as it uh, relates to getting our adolescent patient population vaccinated. So that 12 to 15-year-old age group, we're still not doing really well with vaccinating with them. And, you know, once they go back to school, they're all gathering. They're, you know, playing organized sports potentially going to be a problem man unfortunately i'm having a flashback to uh, a, a year ago when we, we were talking about this i was like oh we gotta we gotta wait we gotta wait and you know we're still going to be going through this and yeah it's almost kind of a a gloomy picture so to so to speak that we could be going through this all over again well and, and there's still the fear out there with the delta variant right now yeah. there, there's no guarantee that that's the last time that this thing comes up yeah. with some kind of new strain or something when like does it that stop? Right. and, and yeah. the delta variant's already more contagious and in some cases deadly in some parts of the world that haven't been vaccinated than the others but they don't know what's going to stop yet and although everybody thinks it's over here almost 10,000 people died last month in the United States of COVID and they said that I, I saw Dr. Fauci yesterday on Meet the Press. They were completely preventable. And, and that's yeah. what he said. Completely he said 90, preventable. Yeah, 99.2% of the people were people yes. that hadn't been vaccinated. Hmm. Yeah. All right, uh, Christina, we uh, Numchuck wanted to ask a question today. And of course, you know, we don't let Uh-oh. him on. We, yeah, we don't let him on the mic. So uh, he, had to, <laughs> he had to write out his question here. So. Um, I think it's this conjunction, you know, very serious topic here, and it's very relative because, of course, you know, you know what yesterday was. It was the 4th of July and the Nathan's hot dog eating contest. He wants to know what is an un- unhealthy number of hot dogs to be consumed because he's, he's worried about me because, you know, 
you know how often I eat hot dogs, and uh, if like I could, five times a week. Yeah, yeah. So what you is really the, do like Freddy's? <laughs> there you. What is the unhealthy number of hot dogs to consume? Uh, well, that is an excellent question. Obviously, it depends on the quality of hot dog. That's and right, because you know I'm all beef, which, baby. 100% all beef. Don't give me that other garbage. That's right. Right. The condiments in which you choose to place on said hot dog <laughs> as well. Well, I'm, so a, gr- I'm a grilled I, onions I think and mustard guy. there's a lot guy. of different factors. I'm a grilled onions and mustard guy. Oh, man. Uh, that's a lot of salt. So from a cardiac standpoint, I would say we should maybe try to limit that a little bit more. Uh, but, yeah. Uh, well, just limit the I mean, grilled onions if, if to a certain a degree, right? If you are a competitive eater, if you are a competitive eater, right, because, again, they're, they're, they're purists, right? There's no, there's no condiments on those dogs. They're just, it's just the dog and the bun. That's it, mm. right? They're purists. That. I don't know, the 50 to 100-ish that are consumed in that one time frame is probably okay, right? Okay. Uh, it's once you start adding on all those condiments and everything else, yeah, it, it could start to get a little dangerous. Now, so, I, I had heard uh, that, that Betty White, you know, she lived to be close to 100 here because she had a hot dog a day. I mean, so she's my model. Yes. I don't know if I can I, I cannot confirm or deny that so but obviously Betty White is uh, she she also says that uh, not having children and uh, you know you know not having um, issues with men also helped with her longevity. Well, and, and George George Burns used to brag that he had a cigar every day and a couple of drinks or something like that and lived to be almost a hundred. So it does. I don't. I don't think it's a foolproof format. <laughs> Wait a minute. I mean, Betty White issues with men. I didn't. I don't know about this. I mean, she seemed like she was a little bit of a floozy on Mary Tyler Moore back in the day. I mean, she was she was seeing a lot of men. She, she did kind of on the Golden Girls or whatever too, didn't she? Yeah, she I mean, did I mean, exactly. I mean, right. I, but 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 you know that that could be a character she's playing. <laughs> you think? Maybe so I'm playing. Me, there's a chance. Maybe I'm playing a character too. Yeah. I just like my hot dogs. Well, you do like to play doctor. We know that. This is true. <laughs> <laughs> Doctor Christina Madison, what do you got coming up? Real quick, plug away. Oh, uh, so let's see. What do I have going on? Uh, so I'm actually going to be on Nevada Week, uh, Vegas PBS. I will be on. It'll, it's like my first in-person, in-studio panel discussion post-pandemic. I'm really excited. Um, so that's going to be taped on uh, Thursday, and it's going to run on Friday. So that's really exciting. I love Vegas PBS. My kids uh, love uh, watching um, all of the educational shows on PBS, and they do just a lot of really amazing things for uh, kids here, um, as well as, you know, the PBS News Hour. So, I don't know. If people don't watch your local public um, station, um, I would definitely advocate for it. There's a lot of good um, that comes of that. And, uh, yeah, that's what I got going on this week. All right. There it is. All right, uh, be good. We'll let you uh, get back to it. Another busy week uh, unfolds, and we'll talk to you very, very soon. Absolutely. Be healthy.
wear a mask if you don't know if people are vaccinated. There you go. Absolutely. Especially when you go to these comedy shows. That's it. <laughs> I, mask I, up. I'll always be a yeah. fan of uh, TV, the PBS stations, because that's where I first discovered Monty Python back in the day. Me too. And Soccer Made in Germany. There you go. And Faulty Towers. You got a Soundstage, Austin City Limits. They've got some pretty good shows I wanna, on there. want to thank Dr. Christina Madison for joining us. George Shea, as well as Paul Buck Power Stewart from England. If you miss any part of the show, go to the website, tcmartinshow.com.